0: Welcome to the City Beautiful Church podcast. Thank you for taking the time to join our family as we strive to live together in heavenly reality. For more great content, visit us online at citybeautiful.ch. My name is Ryan. I'm the pastor here. If you uh, do not know who I am, and if you do, I'm still Ryan and I'm still the pastor Uh, I do not have a conditional personality. It is always the same, whether you know me or not. We are in a series in our church called uh, Learning the Heartbeat of God. We have this big vision for our year that together with one heart and mind, we're drawing closer to God. And we wanted to begin the year by saying, well, what is God like? Sometimes we take that for granted. And that's the, you know, before we uh, get into learning how to listen to the voice of God and what do we do when we're hearing Him, a lot of times we get hung up because we don't actually trust The heart of God. We don't trust that God is good, um, that God has good things in store for us. And so that really complicates the narrative when we're trying to develop intimacy with Him. So we've been on this really amazing series recently of digging deeper into that reality. What is God's heart like? So that when we come to the place of learning how to listen to Him, we know what he sounds like. And it's been so sweet to have all these various uh, perspectives helping us to step deeper and deeper into the reality of God's heart. And one of the things I love that the Lord does so often, you know, with different voices coming up here is that there almost comes these little series within series. And so, you know, a few weeks ago, my spiritual father, Dan, came and brought us this word. And one of the things he said that was so profoundly is if you want to know God's heart, you know, your story is God's heart, right? Uh, and I love. he said something along the lines of like, your, you, you need to tell your story because your story might mean somebody else's survival, which is really powerful, right? Um, and then even last week, as uh, our elder Greg brought us and told us this story of the, the journey that he had put on, the things he was learning about what God's grace actually looks like from him uh, taking his inheritance from his Father, his earthly father, what he was kind of projecting and potentially misconstruing on God as father, and then how it's kind of bouncing back and leading him into, into being the kind of father that God is calling him to. And, and one of the things that Greg said in that that was so beautifully was, if nothing else, for us to take examination of our own stories and begin to see where are the misconceptions in our story where maybe inadvertently we're projecting onto God something that is not truly him. And we've been doing all of this through the series of Lent, and there was this really powerful quote that I found uh, that we've been using in our Lenten meditations. I think this was from last week. Father Dioskuros uh, was uh, an Egyptian Coptic Christian in the 6th century, and he said this, But in the desert, in the pure, clean atmosphere, in the silence, there you can find yourself. And unless you begin to know yourself, how can you even begin to search for God? And I love that. I think that's so powerful. Because a lot of times in the Christian household, we have somehow taken this idea that to die to self means to ignore yourself, to ignore your story, to ignore your pain, to ignore your joys, get rid of all of that. And if we just focus on God and ignore ourselves, somehow we're more holy. And that's what self-denial means but i think i've found that the opposite is true that the more that we're on this journey of self discovery of learning who we are in the full spectrum of our humanity do you realize how profound a creature you are maybe you've been told that you're complicated ladies what people really are trying to tell you is you're profound and that's a good thing you're not you're not a simple creation You have this length and this width and this depth to who you are, there are these layers to who you are. And that means that your journey of self-awareness and your journey of salvation is not one and done. And it's not one size fits all but it's this beautiful dance that you're in with God as you're coming to learn more and more who you are and really understanding what salvation means. And so we want to continue this process of self-discovery in the service of really understanding God's heart. And that's kind of where I want us to, to I almost want to take the baton from where Greg left us last week and go deeper into that. that God's heart is to save us from our old stories so he can help us write new ones. God, that is good. There should be lots of amens to that. (laughs) I'll just stop. We could stop there, you know? God's heart is to save us from our old stories so he can help us to write new ones. I want to... Uh, read to you uh, two very small vignettes from the Gospel of Matthew that that will kind of lead us into understanding this from a biblical perspective. And so many of you know Sermon on the Mount, that's kind of ground zero for us as Christians. What, what, What does this look like? What does the life of following Jesus look like? And that's kind of Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And then in Matthew 8 and 9, we have all these little stories of Jesus beginning His ministry, kind of putting action to the words that He's demonstrating in the Sermon on the Mount when, God, when Jesus says you know repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near or in our modern language it's like change the way you think because the reality of God is so close you can practically touch it he begins to speak in ways that demonstrate what that is but he also begins to act it through healing, through deliverance, all these different ways. And there's these two little um, stories that kind of bookend Matthew 8 and 9 that are almost like these mirror images of each other, but there's all this little nuance in there that I think really gets to what I'm trying to lead us into today. So beginning in Matthew 8, when Jesus came down from the mountainside, again, kind of echoing Moses coming down off the mountain with the Ten Commandments, Jesus comes down off the mountain with the Sermon on the Mount. When Jesus came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him. man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said. Be clean. Immediately he was cleansed of his leprosy. Then Jesus said to him, see that you don't tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priests and offer the gift Moses commanded and as a testimony to them. And then, when we scroll through to the end of Matthew chapter 9, we find another story that's kind of similar, but I want you to really be listening for the little nuanced differences here. So, while he was saying this, and by this you'll have to go and read Matthew chapter 9, verse 19, a synagogue leader came and knelt before him and said, My daughter has just died. But come, put your hand on her, and she will live. Jesus got up and went with him, and so did his disciples. Just then, a woman who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak. She said to herself, if only I can touch his cloak, I will be healed. Jesus turned to her and saw her. Take heart, daughter, he said. Your faith has healed you. And the woman was healed at that moment. Do you realize that Jesus never heals twice the same way? You realize that Jesus never delivers somebody from a demon in the exact same way as he did for someone else. You know, and so often we don't uh, put ourselves in the character of Jesus to understand. We kind of take it for granted what he's doing. But when we really begin to examine it, we're like, we're seeing, oh my goodness, there's such a specificity and a tenderness to the way that Jesus meets each of the people in his story as he's expanding on what it means for the kingdom of heaven to have come near, that he never quite does it the same way twice. He always meets people on this level that's beneath, even what we can perceive on the surface. And I think that's so important for us to recognize. Do you realize that Jesus will not heal you the same way he's healed the person that's sitting next to you? Do you realize that Jesus will not deliver you in the same way he does the person next to you? Testimonies are powerful because they kind of point us to the big picture of what God is capable of and what He is doing, but we can idolize the testimony of the people sitting next to us by expecting that God's going to do it exactly the same way, and then we miss it when He's trying to do something similar in our lives because your story is not like the story next to you, but it speaks so much to the power and authority of God that he is tender, that he is specific, that he sees you as you, not the person next to you, and that he meets you as you need to be met. And there's this word that we talk about so often in Christendom, the salvation. And the word salvation in Greek is so-so, and what it really means, it's a very complex and beautiful word. It means salvation in terms of being rescued, You know, like you're in a sinking ship and you're being saved from it, but it also means healing. The word salvation also carries that connotation of being healed and being restored to health. And so it means rescue. It means healing. It means deliverance. All of these things that Jesus is doing in the story are stories of salvation. And unfortunately, what happens when we relegate salvation to only mean we go to heaven when we die, we miss out on what God is doing right here and right now. How many of you grew up with that idea? Jesus' salvation means you pray this prayer and then you're good. Now you've got fire insurance. You're just going to twiddle your thumbs until you die and then you're going to go float off onto a cloud and you're going to be handed a harp, which you automatically know how to play. And that's basically it. In the meantime, we don't really know what Jesus' salvation means for our life here and now. Right? We're still struggling. We still suffer. We still have disappointment and pain. Our hearts hurt, our brains are overwhelmed, our bodies are in shock. We're holding on for salvation as this kind of future inevitability because the idea of salvation has been so much relegated to this very narrow definition. But when we begin to open up what salvation really means, not just for the future, and I do believe in that, I do believe salvation means that there is something for us after death. But I do believe that salvation also speaks into the present moment and that salvation actually speaks something into our past. Paul so beautifully speaks in this, you kind of read his letters when he's talking about salvation, he talks about how in in different places we have been saved, we are being saved and also someday we shall be saved. All of those things all at once, that God is the God of history. God is the God of history personally and God is the history of universality. Do you ever think about that? God is the God of your personal history, and God is the God of the universal story of humanity and creation itself. And the gospel writers do not make too much of a distinction between those things. The gospel writers don't say, well, you know, you're going to get to heaven when you die, and all of this is probably going to blow up, and we don't really know what's going to happen, so just bide your time for the next 70 years if you're lucky, and we'll see what happens. No, for them, salvation was holistic. It was the person, it was the community, it was the species, it was the planet, and it was the universe itself. Everything is being saved by God's healing work through Jesus. And so the questions that begs of us now are, what does God's healing salvation look like for me now, and how personal can it really be? with this eye towards these universal truths of what God's heart is really like. And that's kind of how I want us to hone in on it today. We're gonna be talking about how God brings salvation to our stories from our past that affect us in the present to give us trajectory to the future. Are you ready for that? Y'all got your tissues? (laughs) And so we're gonna talk specifically, kind of picking up what Greg had spoken about last week, about looking back on our childhood, We all have a childhood message that spun our story out of control. We're all carrying this childhood message somewhere within us. A few weeks ago, I was speaking about your personality. What is personality? Personality is the way that you think and you speak and you feel and you act. All of these different things. That's what makes up your personality. And when you were very little, you begin slowly to become aware of this, this idea of there's a, there's a basic loss and separation to life. This begins at two, three, four years old that you begin to experience. that There's, a, first of all, a separation between you and your mother. But then secondly, that there's this other community that of, called family and your father's in there and there's a separation there and then the community continues to grow out and out from that. And you begin to realize that you don't get everything you want when you need it and that children, little children, are little balls of pure ego. All children are narcissists, (laughs) right? And let's be honest, most of us adults are still narcissists, right? And it's okay when you're beginning your life because you're trying to figure out who am I, how does the world work, where's this whole thing going? And so you run everything through the filter of self, and your ego is helping you to construct answers to those questions this is who I am, this is why I don't always get my way and what I want, and this is what I'm supposed to be in the world, and that's fine, but that only carries us to a certain point in our lives when all of those little answers we developed when we were three years old, four years old, five years old, begin to fall apart, and we actually fight a little bit harder to get those answers to fit our worldview, but the reality is the world becomes bigger and more complex. How many of you so foolishly like me thought when you became an adult, things would become simpler like you'd be more in control of the world of of life like you'd just you'd have it somehow you just you knew how to balance a checkbook right like somehow you just knew how you were supposed to do things and you got older and it's like whoa this is way more complicated when I was trying to like ride my bicycle through the cemetery before the you know before it got dark so I could get home for dinner like the world is crazy it's more extreme There's more nuance here than ever I thought. In fact, Landon and I talk about this all the time, how often we hold tightly to these very simple understandings of the world. We do not embrace nuance, and that's so often what causes fear and anxiety and discord in our worlds because we refuse to grow up and allow the world to be more complex than it truly is. And so your personality, when you were a little child, your personality was essentially the solution that you came up with to get the version of love that you most desired. That's what your personality is. You experienced the loss of love and love had different uh, expressions. Love meant maybe for some of you, love meant security. Some, for some of you, love meant freedom of option. For some of you, love means control. Or love means affirmation. Love means all different things to different people, but your personality was the solution that your little egocentric childhood came up with of this is how I'm supposed to get what I desire most. And it's a very simple answer to a very complex world. And that becomes problematic as we grow up because those childhood messages, the things that we internalize, don't work. They don't help us to really get the love that we desire. And unfortunately, what happens later on in life for many of us, and so for some of us, is very early on, that prolonged seasons of stress or even trauma begin to reinforce the childhood message. That what we believed about the world at three, four, five years old is definitely true. And what happens is that when we are enslaved by the childhood message, it inhibits our ability to enjoy the goodness of life on God's terms. Let me put it to you this way. Are there things that intellectually you know are good things in life that you cannot participate in, that they leave a sour taste in your mouth? Are there certain kinds of activities, maybe it's being in nature, maybe it's playing board games with friends and family that leave a sour taste in your mouth? How often do you use the word hate when you're talking about activities, certain kinds of people, certain kinds of relationships? Are there things that you have a natural aversion to that you can't quite figure out because on the surface this seems like it should be a good thing that you, that you are incapable of accepting the goodness of the world that God has created for you? that perhaps what that means is there's something deep within you, a childhood message where that thing has been tainted by stress or by trauma, and you cannot participate in the goodness of life because you're not thriving. You're only in survival mode. And it's important that we begin to listen to those activities, that we listen to the moments where we say in life, oh, I hate that. I hate those kinds of people. I don't want to do that. When we shut down the goodness of life, because there's something that's preventing us from accepting it as truly good. And this is why this matters. The stories that we tell ourselves run contrary to God's story of grace. The little message that you developed as a little kid on why you're not getting what you want, that story of who you need to be in order to find love or how you need to protect yourself from the world or what you need to do to get in control of life, that runs directly contrary to the story of grace that God desires to speak over you. And when we do not believe that, we continually act out our childhood message and the fear that it stokes in us, especially within our adult relationships. We continue to play out those same stories and those same narratives. If only I could control this more. If only I could just try harder. If only I could earn it better, then maybe I'll find the love that I deserve. And we wonder why our adult relationships are so broken. Because when we're children, people accommodate us and our little idiosyncrasies and our oversimplistic understandings of the world. But when we're adults, that doesn't work anymore. And we operate out of this fear birthed in us by our childhood message that we will not be seen, that we cannot be loved, that we are not safe, that we don't have control. And so when we operate out of that basic fear in our lives, that it leads us to the biggest pain in our relationships with God, our relationships with one another, and our relationships with ourselves. And I think this is often where sin enters the picture. Do we not see this in Adam and Eve? When they begin to believe that they are not loved for who they are, when they begin to believe that they're not in control but there's an option, a way for them to find control and to find power, that it leads them to this profound shame and they begin to cover over that shame with a desperate attempt to get what they want out of life that's divorced from God's intentions. And it's called sin. I think that's what sin is in our lives. When we sin against one another in relationship, it's our attempt to compensate for the love that we feel like we've lost. Sin is our attempt to compensate to believe that we have to earn love from other people. Sin is our attempt to compensate to the fact that we feel like we need to protect ourselves from one another. I think 95% of sin is not intentional. 95% of sin, I think, is our honest but ego-driven attempt to find love outside of the way that God has designed for us to get into that. And so we're going to take a moment. You know, we're trying this year to become more practice-based in our faith, And when you came in, you were given a little half sheet and a clipboard and a pen. And the first thing that it says on there is things I wish I had never heard. And I'm going to read to you kind of nine basic childhood messages. And it's important to recognize this doesn't mean that it was something that was literally spoken to you, although that might be true. Your childhood message is something that you put together that you believed was true based on the messages you were getting from those who were supposed to love you. Your caregivers, your mother, your father, your immediate family, uh, teachers, pastors, whomever at an early age. But it might literally be things that someone spoke over you. And so I'm gonna read kind of nine basic childhood messages and if you resonate with any of them, I want you to write them down. And then I'm gonna pray and I'm gonna give you space to do some dialogue with the Holy Spirit and allow the Spirit to begin to speak to you. What were some things that people spoke over you when you were young, when you were little, that became just pivotal, that sent your story spinning out of control? Things that were said to you, things that were done to you. And I want you to remember that the the Spirit never, ever, 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 ever brings condemnation. If you feel like you're hearing condemnation, keep listening, because there's always hope. But mature Christians know the difference between condemnation and conviction, that the only way over is through, that the Holy Spirit takes us by the hand, and He walks us through painful moments so that we can find healing. So I'm going to read these nine childhood messages, I'm going to pray, and we're going to create space for you to do some dialogue with the Holy Spirit, okay? You with me? Anybody run for the door? The exits are going to be that way and that way or that way, okay? All right. Let's pray. God, there are these messages that we've internalized from a very early age that we think explain why we don't get the love that we desire, whether that love means protection, love means power, love means affirmation, love means freedom, whatever it might be. And God, we recognize that so much of the enslavement in our lives has become because we haven't been, we've been trapped by these stories, by these messages. So Holy Spirit, we uh, ask you to enlight upon your dear ones here. Open our hearts to ourselves. You know us more than we know ourselves. And you're not afraid of it. You look at our stories and you say, ah, I can do something with that but we need you to reveal to us what has for a long time been hidden in the dark. To speak to us for we are listening. I'm only a good boy, I'm only a good girl when I perform well, when I do it right. I'm not lovable unless I love and serve other people, unless I earn it, but I'm not allowed to be needy. I'm not allowed to be weak. It's not okay for me to have my own identity. It's not okay for me to have my own feelings because I am what other people think of me. And ultimately, I am what I do. Nobody understands me, and nobody ever will. I'm missing something that everybody else has. The world is too chaotic. It's just too much to handle and I have to do everything that I can to protect myself from it. If I can understand it, then I can control it. The world is not a safe place and there's no one there to protect me. I know at the core of it all, I'm basically on my own. So I have to figure out how to survive. I exposed my weakness and it cost me nobody will ever take advantage of me ever again. Because only the strong are going to survive. At the end of the day, my presence doesn't really matter. My thoughts and opinions are a liability because whenever I assert myself, it just stirs up conflict. So Holy Spirit, right now, I pray that you would reveal to us moments in our childhood where someone spoke something over us that we wish we had never heard because it became the seed of a lie that led us down a dramatically different path than the one that you had intended for us. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Lord Jesus. Just as he shows you something, write it down. Look at it honestly. He will not harm you. He only desires to heal you. More of you, Lord. More, more, more. More of you, Jesus. Just feel, feel free to continue uh, writing however the Lord's leading you. I don't want my words to supersede what he's doing when you. So what do we do with this? What do we do when we begin to recognize that there are these little messages that we internalize, these little things that people spoke over us that dramatically sent our stories spinning out of control? And we begin to realize not only that, but we continue to, to live out that story in our present relationships. It continues to affect how we see ourselves today. It affects how we see other people, our community, our loved ones today. What do we do with that? I think this is the moment where it begins to open us up to understand, oh, salvation is not just this, you get to go to heaven when you die, but salvation also means that God has something He wants to do in you today through the Spirit of Jesus, the one who heals. Jesus brings salvation to our specific stories because He knows us to our core. See, Jesus' saving grace is not one size fits all. It does not say, uh, for God was so frustrated with the world that he decided to just wave his magic wand and just get rid of everything and then haul everybody off to heaven. It says, no, he so loved the world that he sent his son. And when we begin to understand how universal God's salvation is, but how specific and tender he is to each of our moments, we begin to open up our stories rather than hiding them from God because we're ashamed or because we project that childhood message onto God. Right? How many of you, it's like, if I earn it from God, then maybe he'll love me. If I protect myself from the, the nasty bits of God, then maybe I'll be okay. We project that childhood message onto God, but when rather we begin to open up our stories through self-awareness, we begin to invite the healing touch of Jesus into our stories here and now. And now salvation has meaning. Now salvation has a shape. Now salvation has a story. And so these two little narratives from the Gospel of Matthew, I think, so beautifully demonstrate this. The first is the man with leprosy. You know, Jesus is walking along, and there's a crowd, and then it says, this man came and kneeled before him and said, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And he has some sort of a skin disease. Leprosy kind of was all manner of skin diseases in that era, but it meant he was an outcast. He had to live way outside of the city. He had to wear rags. He's deformed. He's deformed. He's unclean. He cannot worship. He cannot enter into regular society. He's an outcast. He's rejected. And it's so powerful when we begin to recognize that. Like, we don't know how long this guy has had this problem or how long he's been out there, but it could be a long time. Because when he comes to Jesus, it says he kneels down and he doesn't even ask for what he wants. He just says, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Do you hear it? Do you hear the despondency in his voice. There's a, there's a desperation, but there's such a brokenness. He's kneeling. He, he can't even look Jesus in the eyes. He's so ashamed. He's so broken. All he can do is passively say, God, Lord, if you're, if you're willing, I don't want to bother you. How many of us, we have that same posture? God, I, I just, I don't want to bother you. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry for getting in your way. I'm so sorry that I've stopped you. You're obviously doing bigger things than dealing with me, and I'm so sorry. But if you're willing, you could make me clean. And this life of never being touched, of being an outcast, of being rejected, has led this man to this passive lifestyle. And it says so beautifully, Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. How many, for how many of you, and you don't have to raise your hand to this, how many of you touch is bad? Touch is one of the things that has been robbed from you by the enemy because of those childhood messages, because you've only experienced bad touch. I'm there with you. And for a man who hasn't been touched in decades, the first thing that Jesus does is he reaches out and he gives good healing touch. And he says, I am willing, be clean. And in that moment, his leprosy left him. And praise be to God that his physical ailment was healed by the words of Jesus. But how much more healing was the touch of Jesus to a human being who had all value robbed from him, who could not even ask for what he actually wanted. And it's mirror image, the sister story, the bleeding woman, she's probably bleeding from her womb. She has some sort of a a, a cyst or a hemorrhage deep within herself. And and the law, the Torah told her, if you're bleeding, if you're you're going through your cycle, you are unclean and you have to wait until it's done and then you have to go through the, the rituals and then you're clean and then you can come into the presence of community and then you can come into the presence of God. Well, what do you do if that bleeding has not stopped for 12 years? So you see, she's actually in the same boat as the man with leprosy. No one can touch her or they become unclean. She can't get too close to anybody. She can't go and worship God because the rules say that she can't. But where in the, in the story of the man with leprosy, he is despondent and passive and inwardly turned in, she is desperate. She is aggressive. And she has the audacity to push through the crowd, risking everybody else's ritual cleanliness, and she takes something from Jesus without asking Right? She takes something from him. She robs him of his power. And for many of us, when we see ourselves in the story of the woman, we assume Jesus would turn around and say, Hey, what do you think you're doing? That's not yours to take. You didn't ask. You didn't do it right. You didn't follow the rules. But he turns to her and he says, Take heart, daughter. Your faith has healed you. In <coughs> her desperation, in her feeling of being outside, in her feeling perhaps even that her womanhood is a liability. How many of you, hopefully not the men, but maybe, how many of you, you feel like your womanhood is a liability? That your femininity is a liability? That's the thing that keeps you from a position of being in society. That's the thing that keeps you from worship of God. That your femininity is unsacred, is unholy. And Jesus turns to her and says, take heart, daughter, your faith has healed you. Your divine femininity, your womanhood is blessed. It is not a cursing to you. He affirms her. Yes, she was healed of her bleeding but her womanhood was blessed. She's brought back into the family, and she's brought back into the presence of God. In both of these stories, Jesus treats them as precious individuals worthy of love, worthy of being rescued from the messages that have literally kept them outside of society for far too long. He doesn't snap his fingers and give them a prescription. He doesn't write it out and say, okay, whatever, just go do this. No, he looks them in the eyes and he speaks to the deepest part of their story, the story that has been spoken over them for who knows how long that has told them that you are not worthy of grace. You are not worthy of healing. Jesus speaks to that deepest part of them. And yes, he heals their physical nature. But on the deeper level, he heals their identity their worth, their value. See, Jesus speaks over us the lost messages that we so desperately needed to hear in order to step out of our condemning stories, the things that have kept us out of decent society, the things that have told us that certain things are not good, that we're not okay, that we're not worthy of love. And the problem is that when we continue to live out of our childhood messages, we're only stuck in survival mode. It's only about getting through the day. There's no questions of thriving, certainly the least of which is us enjoying the goodness of the life that God has offered for us. And when someone comes to us and says, "What is the thing in that moment of pain that you most desperately wanted to hear?" we have no answers. Most of us don't know what it is that we wanted to hear when we were little, when we were scared, when we were vulnerable. We don't know what it is that we wanted to hear that would have been the healing balm over our painful messages. Because the fear has encrusted our hearts, the fear has covered over the deepest part of ourselves because your heart knows exactly what you needed to hear in that moment that would have brought salvation and grace. But the childhood message that you have internalized has become this guard, this shield over your heart that you cannot penetrate to that deepest place in yourself to know what you needed to hear. But that is the message that is going to set you free according to God's love. This is what the gospel sounds like to each of us. It's not one size fits all. If it's gonna be good news, it's gotta sound good. And it speaks that deepest part in our hearts that so desperately needs to be set free. And so like the first moment of practice of contemplation, we're going to step into another one. But this one, we're going to speak uh, the things that I wish that I had heard. And similarly, I'm going to read nine lost messages that I believe are the healing balm for the childhood wounds uh, that I previously read, but I'm gonna give more space there for you to come to the Holy Spirit and say, oh, Spirit, take me deep into my own heart. It's like, uh, you know, like David prays in one of the Psalms, like, you know, you know my, exa- my anxieties, like examine my heart, show me my anxieties, take me deep down into myself and, and show me what are the things that I most desperately needed to hear when I was young that become that healing salvation to my story. I'm gonna invite the Holy Spirit just to to speak to those deepest parts of you. So again, let's step into prayer. Father, we thank you uh, for a space of honesty, of vulnerability that we do not need to hide from you. We don't need to explain ourselves. We certainly don't need to fight you. Whether we can come to you broken open, ready to see what you're going to do, what you're going to speak. And so Holy Spirit, again, come fill us from the top of our heads to the bottom of our feet. Speak to the deepest part of our hearts, that thing that we knew in the moment we so desperately wanted somebody to say that would have set us free, that would have brought us into grace, that would have brought us into freedom, that would have brought us into new life because this is what the gospel sounds to each one of us. Speak, Lord, for we are listening. Take heart, my son, my daughter. You are good enough. You are desired and adored. You are loved for who you are, not what you do. You are seen for who you really are. You have enough. You have even more than you think that you. The world is not a safe place, but you will be okay because I am with you. You will never be on your own. You will be taken care of when you need it most because I am for you. You will experience disappointment, but ultimately you will not be betrayed. Your presence matters. You matter. Your thoughts, your feelings, your opinions, they matter. I want them. Spirit, now would you speak to each one of us as we look over the things that we wish we had never heard, the things that we wish we had, because we believe that those are the messages that you are speaking to us even now. Again, feel free to keep writing. Several years ago, when I was leading the school of ministry up in Nashville, we did this exercise with my students. My spiritual father was there and another friend. And when it came to the things I wish I had never heard, we filled up the board. And there was so much vitriol. There was so much hate. There was so much anger. Of the eight of us in that room, five of us had been sexually abused. Five of us out of eight. And when it came to the things I wish I had heard, it was almost nothing. It was almost nothing. We didn't know what it is that we wished that we had heard. My spiritual father got up, and he went up to the board, and in very bold letters, he wrote, I'm sorry, and I broke. It was the first time that I'd ever broken from my own story. And I've told many of you this and I don't want to market my story because it's mine. But I was sexually abused at 12 by an older boy. And it, I buried it. I believed it didn't matter. I believed that it was something that I just had to hide and ignore and everything would be fine. And I kept acting out of that without realizing it. And when he wrote that, I broke because I was like, that's it. If just someone had come to me and said, I'm sorry. I'm not sorry for what you did. I'm sorry for what someone did to you. And it was in that moment that I recognized that is the message of the cross. That is the message of Jesus on the cross for me, that the forgiveness of the cross is a release from all of the wounds that have been inflicted upon us in the past. Not just is it the forgiveness of your sins, but it is the forgiveness of the sins that have been enacted upon you. It is the forgiveness of the sins, the things that have been spoken over you that sent your story reeling in a dramatically different way. That Jesus on the cross is saying, I am sorry on behalf of your abusers. I am sorry on behalf of those who were not there for you, who hurt you, who harmed you, who ignored you, who rejected you, who neglected you. I am sorry on their behalf, and I take into myself all of their anguish, all of their violence, all of their words and their actions, and I put it to death so that you can live a new life out of a new story that speaks the depths of who you really are. as we prepare to come to the table, can you see that invitation? That Jesus on the cross, yes, he died for your sins, but he died for the sins that were enacted against you, that have enslaved you, that have held you back, that have diminished who you are and your incredible worth and value for the kingdom. So I want to invite you to stand with me And in just a moment, I'm going to invite you to go kind of into the center of the room, and we have these two pillars. On your left, things I wish I hadn't heard. On your right, things that I wish I had. And in between, we find the Lord's table, symbolizing that the crucified God hangs between these two realities, these two competing stories within us, that he acts as the bridge between what we wish we had never heard or what had been done to us and what we wish that we had heard believing that that is the healing message of our salvation and I'm going to pray and I want you to have the boldness and the audacity to go back to take a pen to fill out in the presence of your community so that we might have solidarity with one another the things that you wish that you had never heard because some of us are going to come along and we're going to go, yes, me too absolutely, I heard that I experienced that. And some of us, we need to know what it is that you wish that you had heard. Because we need to know that's what salvation looks like in my story. And after you write those things, I want to invite you to come to the table and to take into yourself the body and the blood of Jesus as that testimony of healing over your story. So let's pray and let's begin to move. And you can move at any part during this next series of worship. We're not in a hurry, we don't need to go through this automatically. We want to do this with intention. So Heavenly Father, we stand here squeezed between these two stories, the things we internalized when we were very little that have kept us ensnared in lies and the invitation to new creation, to new life, that you speak to the deepest part of us because that's where healing is found. And Lord, as we come to your table as an act of devotion, as an act of believing that these are the things that you desire to do in us, we pray that you would be faithful to save us, to heal us, to restore us, to deliver us so that we might live out of new stories of grace. We pray all of these things in the strong and the blessed name of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's worship, and let's come to the table. This has been the City Beautiful Church podcast. To stay connected, follow us on social everywhere at citybeautifulch. We hope you join us again soon.